0: I wanted to enshrine that growth mindset that making mistakes genuinely is celebrated because that is how we learn. You learn through making mistakes.
1: 2020 is the, the poster child for reimagining what education has to be.
2: Hi, I'm AJ Webster. I'm an educator who spends his days thinking about how to reshape education so that it better serves students both today and in their futures. In this episode, I'm talking about my journey from a traditional classroom teaching model to a more radical vision of what education could be. Joining me in this discussion are my two longtime collaborators, Christy Durham and Ted Wakeman. Due to COVID, these interviews were recorded separately. Let's jump ahead to the Sycamore School. So we've talked about what led us to know something had to change What was your experience of moving into the phase of doing the Sycamore
0: School? When we were at Buckley and we spent, you know, I think you were there 11 years, I was there 12 years, we spent a lot of that time questioning, changing what we were doing and talking to to others, to our colleagues. And we would talk to people and we would go into those meetings and we would be excited about, you know, getting people to think about 21st century skills and the ways in which we could change. And we didn't get a lot of traction. We certainly didn't have anyone telling us that we couldn't do what we were doing in our, our no, no one was stopping us. No one was stopping us from doing it in the sixth grade. But it didn't seem that anyone was really interested in taking it, you know, into a different grade level. And it was frustrating for us. And so the first thing that we did was we looked into maybe opening a charter school. With the idea that, you know, Really, probably if we wanted to do something that was remarkably different in education, we were probably going to have to do it for ourselves rather than try to change a system that's already established. And, the, you know, one of the problems at Buckley was that, you know, it had been around for 75 years at that point, something like that. It was well-established, and so People knew what
2: they were getting. People knew
0: started. what they were getting. Parents were signing on for a very specific something. And that is much more difficult to turn that big ship than it is if you just create it from scratch. There was a, a real reason why we took the steps that we took. And that started with you and the opportunity at Playmaker, right? Mm-hmm. Because that was you having the ability... To take what it is that we were doing at Buckley and creating something from scratch that that really hit all of those ideals that we were after.
2: The Playmaker School was a joint venture between a technology game education startup and uh, an existing school. And the existing school created a space to say, hey, you can take over our sixth grade program in conjunction with the school, the tech startup, we're going to do something cool and interesting. If you'd like to hear more about the Playmaker program, check out the previous episode where Ted and I go into depth about our time there.
1: Yeah, so I think what we took from the Playmaker experience was, boy, there's something here. There's something really magical here. There's something really exciting here in education. And we weren't done.
2: Yeah, like we, we went on to, to start a school to answer some different questions, right?
1: Yeah, and the, the sort of amazing right place, right time opportunity to open our own thing came along fairly quickly after Playmaker, basically a, a couple of months, right? I mean, four or five months mm-hmm. after. And provided us the opportunity to open up our own elementary school with, uh, you know, with a, a really reasonable and, and generous financial backing to, to get the doors open and to be able to really dig into curriculum design.
0: We had this opportunity to be able to secure a grant to open our own private elementary school, which I think was, from our perspective at the time, interesting. You know, the two of us had very little experience in elementary school. Yes. Ted had all of his experience in elementary school, essentially.
2: And I remember one of the things that struck us about doing a sixth grade program is how much undoing there was. You mentioned that earlier. So yeah. we thought if we started with elementary school, we wouldn't have to do that undoing quite as much.
0: That, that idea that, you know, really to help nurture the natural curiosity, the natural creativity that young kids have, that we find often school tends to squeeze out of them mm-hmm. by the time they get to middle school. And so by the time they get to middle school, they either determine they are a good student or they aren't they are a math guy an english girl uh, you mm-hmm. know they they've determined already by sixth grade who it is that they are as a student as a learner and that we wanted to not do that to them we wanted to continue to nurture and embrace all of those natural qualities that kids have so that by the time they get to middle school, they're very confident in all of those skills.
2: Right. We didn't want to have to continue to unteach them and worry about every time we said, hey, we're learning about X, the question is, will it be on the test?
0: We we often found that they were institutionalized. Mm-hmm. They were very savvy as to what school wanted from them. And what school wanted from them was a reproduction of the work they'd done in class that day via homework and tests and, and results, grades, and everything that kids did by and large was to that, to that end.
1: Uh, I, I agreed. And I, and I think that our belief that kids have a natural drive and creativity, kids actually want to, to be challenged and they want to learn new things. And if you could get them at that early age, you could in fact just preserve that and it would be much different than having to sort of reteach a new a new way of thinking. I think we started with that premise, and I, I do think that that proved to be true. I think kids thrived under the freedom to explore and and develop an understanding of, you know, how, what it meant to follow your curiosity and your wonder and, and really dig in in that way.
2: So we had this opportunity to start the Sycamore School. It was you and me and Ted were yep. the three of us who were going to, Chief cook and bottle washer. We were but, going to yes, do everything.
0: The three of us really spent kind of, what, what would you say, six months? Uh, not nearly enough time, probably, developing what our mission and vision was, you know, what the pillars of, of this school were going to be and mindsets and further develop toolkits that the two of us actually started to very.
2: Begin to flesh
0: out. Yeah, we've we begun to flesh out some of the toolkits to really incorporate and have all of those foundational like principles in place before we opened, um, which I think is, is important for any program looking to do something different in education because if you don't have those as guiding principles, boy, is it easy to fall back on old practices and things that are familiar in education.
1: In starting it, what had to be baked in was a clear philosophy around what we were after. I think growth mindset and, you know, what have been referred to as soft skills and competencies. For us, we call them mindsets. I think that those foundational principles had to be in place as a pursuit for us. If we're not going to be after grades and tests and any particular set of content, then what are we focused on? In addition, I think that the pillars that education should be engaging, that it should be Future focused and that it should be continuous. I think the amount of time that we took to dig in and really, I remember throwing those post its at the wall. I mean, we basically wrote down every word, every concept, every idea that we felt was important in a reimagining of school. And we put it on the wall and did some taxonomy with it and distilled it down to those three pillars which continue to be true today. I think we both believe in that philosophy that every now and then it's really good to beat your ideas up and see if they still hold water. And it's nice to see that some of that stuff that we started with really still holds true.
2: Yeah, those continue to be really solid foundations. We'll provide a link to the pillars, mindsets, and toolkits in the show notes on our website.
0: So we developed that, you know, and, and opened our doors in September of 2015.
2: Yeah, it was too brief. First of all,
0: too, too anything brief. less yeah. than
2: 18 months is too brief. Yeah. But in setting up the mission and vision, our pillars, all of those pieces, our mindsets, which are competencies, essentially. Yeah. I think it's really important for people to not just rely on things like college and career readiness because it's a, a meaningless phrase that doesn't offer any guidance yeah. for what that means. Like. When you say college and career readiness, you should be able to explain what skills and ideas are part of college and career readiness, I feel like. Yeah. What were things that when we started the Sycamore School, you had on your shortlist or you knew coming in, like, these are things we have to enshrine in this process?
0: I think there were a couple of things. The first of which was a real commitment to growth mindset, mm-hmm. this idea that, you know one of the things i became really acutely aware of in my teaching experience between when i was at the buckley school and the sycamore school was as educators we we ask kids to to try and and make mistakes and learn from you know our mistakes and but we want you to make those mistakes and then we slap a grade on them and i became really aware of just how unfair that was if we're asking kids to try something and fail at it potentially, then you can't slap a grade on it because that failure, it'll be a constant reminder via, via their grade, right? It's not like you get this grade and then that grade goes away and it gets replaced the next time you're successful. Grades are, are cumulative and they're averaged over the course of a, you know, at a quarter or a semester or a year. And so they're very punishing. And it's an unfair statement to make to kids. I want you to try. We all celebrate mistakes. It's okay to make mistakes and then give them grades. It's, I was really aware of that. So I wanted to enshrine that growth mindset that making mistakes genuinely is celebrated because that is how we learn. You learn through making mistakes. And then the second one is not giving grades. We're at a conference where we saw Nolan Bushnell. He is the founder of Atari and Chuck E. Cheese. So he's a guy who um, understands playful, playful learning and playful motivation. He said, grades are high risk. And when you have something that's high risk, you lower the innovation. And, you know, that is what grades do. And we wanted kids to be creative, curious innovators. And we couldn't do that if we didn't allow them to take risks and fail and if we were going to grade them on it at the end. So those, I think, were the two most important things for me that we were to enshrine in in this new system.
2: What is?" One of the biggest lessons you took in the process of founding this thing. Um, mm. One of the things that uh, we've talked a lot about over the years is building the airplane while we're flying it. Like there was that constant feeling. What's something you took away?
1: Uh, I think the first one was the notion that a one-room schoolhouse, uh, <laughs> that we could pull that—that that we could pull that off, right? So, and I... so
2: our first year, we had K through four. Yeah, all in one room that we were going to educate together, giving each kid what they needed. That was the goal,
1: right. right? Trying to to challenge where where it was needed and provide some foundation where it was needed, based on the the, the huge spectrum of ages uh, that that we had. Um, I think we you know we learned pretty quickly that while ideally there's some really wonderful benefits to that approach that that it, you know, practically it it became really hard to manage. And we we recognized the need to separate kids a little bit, not not back into, you know, you're a first grader, you're a second grader, you're a third grader, but certainly into some groups that allowed for a, a little bit of a smaller stretch.
2: Now one of the things Christy always says is we broke everything.
0: In that first year I always said we we broke everything without the ability or the capacity to put any of it back together. And what, do you, what do you
2: mean by we broke everything?
0: We we, we decided that nothing was going to look like it looked mm-hmm. as we knew it, as school knows it, as parents know it. We just broke everything, K through four. Not a single worksheet, no lectures. It was really about you know that constructivist. We're going to get kids to do and discover rather than be told that we were going to give them information and facts and all of that just just in time rather than just in case.
1: We broke everything. We broke absolutely everything. And I still look back and think that was one of the most magical years, certainly challenging for us. But I still feel like, boy, uh, you know, we did some great work in that year and certainly i think earned god what what word would i use for that love respect curiosity wonder from the families that were with us i think for the most part but definitely one of the biggest challenges i just think capacity i think we we also took on everything we were the educators we were the curriculum designers we were the you know bathroom cleaners we were the lunch duty monitors we were <laughs> We tried to take on every job that needed to be taken on as well as all of the administrative work. That was probably too too much as well.
0: Financially, we had to do it. I always felt like, you know, probably need to build it with a couple more key players in place mm-hmm. so that you you have that first year to really plant those seeds and allow them to grow.
2: And we were up against the parents' understanding of what learning looked like and their need for Proof that this works is one of the issues.
0: Yeah. It requires a constant attention to parent education. That it wasn't good enough for us to just be doing what it is that we were doing with kids, but that we constantly had to be selling courage and, and, and giving parents a window into what we were doing, the research as to why we were doing.
2: Yeah, a lot of it was selling courage to parents and demonstrating to them Hey, the world has changed. Maybe you hadn't thought about the fact that this affects what school could be. Yeah,
0: we would often call it re-enrolling, right? So, you know, we re-enroll our, our parents as often as we can throughout the years, and we still do because it's tough. You know, I, we're both parents, and it does take courage to, to take that leap of faith and say, I recognize the world around me is different. I know that's true. I know my kids are going to need different skills, but, but boy, all of the rest of the world is doing education in such a different way that requires us to continually pumping each other up and saying, this is the right thing. Right. You know, I
1: know that you share this and I know Christy shares this. It is that just, we have such a passion for wanting other people to come to these ideas, to dig into them and and beat them up for themselves and add to them and allow them to become their own. But that, to me, is where the excitement is, is just that, boy, we're on to something that could actually have an impact um, in, our, in our society. That, that, to me, is the exciting
2: piece. Yeah. What's the, the kind of biggest lessons, the biggest takeaways, the things that are really stand
1: out? Uh, well, six years later, I think, you know, as, as I mentioned before, uh, the takeaways in terms of the philosophical approach I think it's really nice to look up and feel that those are the right things to be pursuing and while we always remain open to reflection and 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 change and adaptability I've been thinking a lot about our graduates you know now that we've got basically two two sort of for us full graduating classes mm-hmm. that are out there in the world and I've had some contact with those kids since they've graduated and to listen to them speak to listen to the kinds of things that they are interested in and that they care about, to see the kinds of things that they are pursuing. Many of them have taken on little individual projects uh, just outside of school, but just interest-driven projects. I'm wildly proud of the work that has been done in in, sort of in, in terms of efficacy, right? We say that we believe in these principles. We say that we believe in the development of these skills, and that these things will supersede a need for kids to memorize a particular bit of content. However, that they could access any content if really lit up about the idea of learning. If given the tools and the mindsets to pursue knowledge and to see that actualized in our graduates makes me proud. It makes me feel like the the big takeaway both from Playmaker and from Sycamore, is that we're on the right path. And we may be not, you know, we certainly aren't doing it perfectly. There's certainly kinks to work out. There's certainly a lot of growth that still needs to happen. But that at the end of the day, we are doing no harm to these kids. And in fact, I think giving them a huge advantage in the world that we're asking them to to go into.
2: What has been most gratifying as the school has developed for you?
0: What's been most gratifying has been the ability to help develop other educators in their journey towards changing education. Really thinking critically about what it is that we're doing, why it is that we're doing it, being open to other ways in which we can we can engage students.
2: So after that first year, we had to hire people. Yes. So we hired yeah. teachers. Yeah. And we shifted into more of leadership administration role with with other educators right. working for us i guess with right. us
0: and you know one of the things in helping them that i know personally i've been kind of most proud of is in education we we say that we want kids to try something and make mistakes and fail, and that's okay. But certainly, educators are not allowed to do that. You know, educators are supposed to have all the answers, and they always have to do the right thing and produce the right results. And if not, you know, there is some sort of feedback that tells you you've done it wrong. And, you know, we have been very mindful of the fact that if we want educators to be innovative— You also have to give them the space and allow them to try something, and sometimes have it fail. And by fail, I mean it simply is that project wasn't very exciting, or I don't, I don't know that the kids got out of it what I was hoping for them to get out of it. I don't, I don't mean catastrophic failure, but educators are supposed to be lifelong learners as well. They should be allowed to engage in that type of learning and failing and iterating and learning process.
2: I think one of the reasons that. We've been told by our educators many times that this is the best education experience they've had. They've learned the most. You know, I think of uh, Kylie who says, "I didn't think I was creative and I didn't think I was good at math until yeah. I worked here." I think part of it is that we we had those high level principles that we held ourselves to that we could use to align everyone. You know, yep. our educators could always be aiming at these things that we laid out. But, yeah, that we gave them space and said, hey, we know some of these things aren't going to work. And that's what we want. We want you to be trying something because if you're not failing sometimes, you're not swinging for the fences. You're not trying the hardest. What what surprised you most in the journey?
0: Probably what has surprised me most is people not signing on more readily I guess. You know, <laughs> you know when you just do a cursory glance at the research that's out there about brain science and learning, about fourth industrial revolution. If you look at the World Economic Forum's list of skills that are necessary in the next couple of years, jobs that are going to be automated out and jobs that are up and coming. It is it is really surprising to me that more people are not just fully on board and behind schools making the necessary changes to serve their, their kids.
1: It's, I think, important to bring to education and to educators a professionalism and a a feeling that the work that you do is not just chalkboards and and the alphabet, that the work that we are doing is truly to try and prepare kids for a very challenging world, a very connected and evolving world, a world that is going to demand a very different perspective and mindset in order to thrive and survive. And if we can see ourselves that way as an educational community, and we can be open to making change, to me, that's it's everything. It's, it's worth all the fight.
2: I, I have two more things. One, what positive feedback do you get from parents at the Sycamore School? What negative feedback <laughs> do you get? That's actually interesting, too. Like, okay. what
0: problems do people have? Um, you know, well, so here's the thing. Parents who send their kids to the Sycamore School recognize a fundamental difference in the way in which their kids are talking about the world around them as compared to, you know, friends of theirs' kids. Mm -hmm. So there's a a real difference in the way in which they're talking at the dinner table, talking to other people when they're out and about. I think their level of excitement for coming to school, you know, one of the anecdotes that I often share, because it, it It really does point to the fact that if you allow kids to enjoy the environment in which they're in, they're going to want to come and learn and dig in and work hard and do all those things that, as educators, we want them to do. We had a little girl who was with us, and her mom came to pick her up from school early. And so dismissal for us is at 3.15, and I think mom came at maybe noon and She said, you know, I've got this great thing that we're going to go do. It's a surprise. And her daughter absolutely fell apart, started crying. I don't want to leave early. Do not take me now. I don't want to go. And the mom was like, we're going to, we're surprising your dad and we're going to take him down to Disneyland and we're going to stay down there and have, she absolutely was hysterical. Mom took her off campus, put her in the car. They drove away. And we thought, what a strange reaction to wanting, you know, to going to Disneyland. Most kids would be thrilled. About five minutes, seven minutes later, the car pulls back up. Mom gets her out of the car, brings her back in and says, clearly, she does not want to leave school early. She'll be here till the end of the day. We'll pick her up at 3.15.
2: And they did. I think of one where a little girl was having a slumber party with some other kids that she knew from outside of the school. And maybe you remember what the problem was. They came across some problem, and the girl from our school, she was a fifth grader at the time, said, guys, we need to collaborate to solve this. Yes. And... Uh, the mom said the other girls looked at her quizzically and didn't know what to do and she's like first we have to figure out what the problem is you yes. know and she laid out the problem solving method to yeah. get through it yeah. how they should all collaborate yeah yeah that's but a anyway big one. so
0: but parents are seeing that they're they're experiencing that and i know that my kids didn't have the benefit of having a school like sycamore cuz they were much older by the time we opened our school my experience of sending my kids to school is they, they they generally don't want to go. They're excited for weekends. They're excited for holiday breaks. And when summer comes, they feel like they're free, glorious free. And our kids don't have that experience. Our, our parents often report that they can't wait to come back to school. They're bummed when it's the weekend. They ask when they can go back. And that's what school should be. That is what school should be for kids.
2: Any other parting thoughts about um, starting schools, starting programs?
1: Oh, man, it's, uh, it's hard. It's hard work. <laughs> it is hard work. But uh, amidst what has been times of, of chaos and times of, of real struggle and strife, at the end of the day, it's it's work that, that I want to be doing. And
2: if you could make one change to education writ large, what would it be? You could wave a magic wand and institute change.
1: It would be to, to get rid of standardized testing and, and the pursuit of grades. It, it would be to open it up to a, a real discussion about how we prepare kids for that world that I just described. I think that this pandemic and everything else going on, uh, you know, both politically and socially at the moment, if that isn't a great indicator of what is needed from human beings right now in terms of the ability to really make observations and ask hard questions and critically think and be ethical and empathetic and really want to dig in and solve problems um, and communicate well and collaborate well. if this isn't a great indicator that those are the things that we ought to be pursuing then I don't I don't know what is I don't I don't know where we could get a better example right now
2: than 2020 <laughs>
1: yeah 2020 is it 2020 is the the poster child for reimagining what education has to be. Uh, so yeah I think the, the biggest thing that I would change is just eliminate those shackles. And, and and open it up to a broader discussion about what, uh, what we ought to be doing with these kids.
2: All right, that wraps it up for today. I'd like to thank Christy Durham and Ted Wakeman for sharing their thoughts and remembrances with me on the founding of the Sycamore School. This is the last episode of our season one. I want to thank Peter, Christy, and Leslie for joining me in making this podcast Really enjoyed talking about what we do and how we think of education, Education X.0. We hope that you'll join us when we pick up with season two and talk more about Education X.0 and how things can change for the future of our kids.